mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Put It In Work, the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective powered by Audio-Technica. You're listening to episode 69. I am not your host, Jono Peck. I am your guest host, Sam Kingma, but I'm joined by Jono for a special episode where we turn the tables and uh, interview him instead. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is uh, this is weird, isn't it? Yeah, I know it's a little it's a little interesting. I mean, I did you know I was a journalism student for like you know a year and a half, so I have you know some interview skills. Mm. Uh, spo- spoilers: This is something we recorded a, a while yeah. back for for a, a different project I was right. working on that just didn't didn't pan out. So it's out. not completely out of the blue. It was like you know the fear for me is that being a guest on my own podcast is kind of like self-indulgent <laughs> like oh hey look at me i got something no to say. it's awesome <laughs> but uh the, the fact that we recorded it for something else makes it feel a bit more like i can get away with it yeah no it's it's so funny because like i believe the interview the the topic in question for for when i brought you on was 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 how to do an interview mm. which we do talk about but looking back on sort of like all everything i had to do i'm like why i, I look back and i'm like why didn't i do how to write a book <laughs> why did i not do that instead yeah. yeah i haven't gotten a chance to re to re-listen to uh to your portion of the interview so i, I hope it turned <laughs> Turned out, uh, <laughs> turned out good. Yeah, me too. I haven't listened to it either. This was last year. Yeah. But hey, before we get into that, mm-hmm. Sam, I got the iTunes review of the week. Oh, Do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. So the review this week goes to Sniper Hands. Great name. And the headline says, Twerkin. He says, in this series, Jono himself digs into the drive and struggles behind his varied guests, life aches, and achievements. Each potty unravels a creative pursuit of some form and valuable learnings from those with a spirit of duosity. Putting in work will appeal to the entrepreneur, artist, pop culturist. Anyone wanting insights from the modern realm of creative thought, I give it five starmies. What a review. I know. Wow. That's poetry. I love the word duosity. Yeah. <laughs> the duosity of the creative world. I know. I'm pretty sure that one was my brother. He's a... Uh, He's got a bit of a knack for those kinds of words. Just making stuff up. Mm. But Sam, uh, just a little bit about yourself. You are a journalism student at Mizzou in Colombia, the, the prestigious Mizzou. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm okay. I'm a former journalism student at the uh, at the uh, prestigious University of Missouri. I'm still there. However, I'm I'm exploring a new major right now called digital storytelling which I have summarized as cool journalism. Honestly, what it is, is it's mostly just like, it's basically journalism, except it's less of like, it's less writing and interviews and actual journalism stuff. And it's more like video and audio and photography and stuff like that. So since I want to I want to be an editor and a full-time like content creator, I think this is a good good place for me to at least get my foot in the door and start in learning uh, things like Adobe Premiere and Adobe Audition, stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, no, I like it a lot. And that's kind of the reason that you didn't go ahead with like publishing this interview was because you decided to go in yeah. more of a youtube direction. Did you want to promote that upcoming channel <laughs> while you're here? You can follow me on YouTube uh, just at Sam Kingma. Well, I have a couple videos up right now, mostly just uh, either dumb meme videos and uh, good upload, some good projects from, from class and stuff. That have also thrown up there, uh, but yeah, no. I hope this summer to start like doing consistent stuff just on that channel and not spread myself too thin just yet. 
Mm, definitely. And I should mention that the reason that we've kind of connected is via our friends over at the formerly known as Four Yanks, One Aussie, now known as something new that's probably been yeah. announced by the point you're hearing this. The Gone Gold Boys. Yeah, the Gone Gold Boys, and and you're kind of a super yeah. fan. Yeah, no, of those lads. It's so it's so funny. Like like would have I never would have guessed how much like that they've propelled like sort of my online persona in just this small group of people. Cause like, I would have never, con- well, first of all, like I would have never connected with, with any of them outside of Elmer. And like, I wouldn't have gotten a chance to like meet and speak with you on t- like, like over Google Hangouts and on Twitter. I wouldn't have gotten hmm. a chance to speak to Ian Preshel on Twitter or anything like that. So no, it's been, it's been really cool to sort of, you know, come into this sort of community of, of, of like podcasters and content creators as someone who, who is a fan and really does like and consume like everything that that sort of comes out because it is all it is all very good and I do like it very much. Yeah, shout out to those guys and you might be seeing them popping up on overtime or something like that in some form if we can line up all the ducks. But until then, here is the interview with myself with guest host Sam Kingma. Enjoy the show. Enjoy. Joining us today is a former journalist. You may have heard of him. He recently wrote a book, The Spy and the Maven, and he has his own podcast called Putting in Work. Please welcome to the show, Jono. I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to do an interview today. Uh, but I, first, I want to know a bit about yourself, sort of how you got into... Uh, just give me a, just give me a lowdown on basically who you are. Cool. Well, I was a journalist for seven and a half years, as you mentioned, working in regional newspapers... I did some work as digital editor, so covering the online content for a fairly um, major regional newspaper. Since then, I've been working in politics. I'm now in the health industry doing media and communications. And it's the past year or so that I've been working on the book that you mentioned, The Spy and the Maven, that was written, crowdfunded and self-published. So that's been a pretty major thing in my life and pretty fun thing to do. And podcasting's always been an interest, well, as long as podcasting's been around, I guess. But yeah, I, I did a, a podcast when I was a journalist. That was kind of a pop culture thing that we did and started the interview podcast, Putting in Work, which talks to creative people or just people who've had interesting experiences that they've had to work through and just talking about what goes into that kind of thing. And I guess that what I learned as a journalist, I was able to, since I'm not a journalist anymore, bring it back into the podcast that I'm doing with Putting in Work. So that's kind of why I'm here today, I guess. Well, you certainly know how to pitch yourself. So God bless you. Now I want to start specifically. So what got you to do journalism for seven and a half years? Because that's a big chunk of time. Well, I guess it was just the career option that seemed doable (laughs) for me because I I was very much into writing and English and that was my my interest. And uh, it was my skill set in school and my father was a journalist. He was the editor of the newspaper that I later worked at. He wasn't the editor when I worked there, but I don't know what your parents do for work. But for, for a lot of people, whatever your parents do, you kind of their workplace, sometimes it can become like a second home, especially if you pick up some holiday shifts there or you do a bit of you know work for them when you get time. So that was it was just a, a very natural environment for me to step into and not really knowing how I could make a career out of writing. Journalism was in front of me and seemed like the right thing. Now that I'm not a journalist, uh, I can see that there's a lot of other ways to apply that skill professionally. And journalism probably isn't like a perfect fit for me. And it's changing so much that it's, you know, it's hard to really even know who Mm -hmm. it's a perfect fit for. But yeah, I had a lot of 
a lot of great experiences as a journalist and definitely learn a lot of skills that I'm happy to apply to other parts of my life. That's excellent. As a, uh, I'm, I was a former journalism student at the University of Missouri. I went that, I was going that route for about two years, mm. thinking that was something I wanted to do because writing was something I had an interest in, but it wasn't really my passion. And to be a sure. journalist, you really do have to. You do writing does have to be your 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 one true passion if you wanna if if you wanna make yeah. it in such a such a tough business. So, especially in print, yeah, like TV and radio journalists, they do they have to start with writing. Everything starts with the the keyboard or the pen and the pad. But yeah, as a print journalist, it's all about the writing mm-hmm. and the interviewing, obviously. So what? So you're so you're at the so you're doing print at the, at the paper. Who approaches you to do this pop culture podcast for the uh, for the paper? <laughs> no one approaches you. <laughs> that that's something like that, especially in the world of journalism, it's pretty far behind in terms of technology, I think. It's the industry of of uh journalism, especially um, especially here, maybe not in the states, it might be a little different, you can tell me, but they're not exactly forward thinking with technology. It's very much catching up and you know, oh, what people can shoot stuff on their phones. We should start doing that. You know, it's it's very slow to react, and it's it's not really forward thinking. And me, a friend, there was two there was two other friends that I had at the newspaper. We all we sat in you know kind of cubicles, and we'd I'd sit there in like a triangle with these two guys, and we would just talk crap all the time uh, about pop culture and you know Star Wars and Indiana Jones and. <laughs> whatever walking dead and all, and all this crap and then we were like we should do a podcast and i think it was the one night we were actually out um having a few drinks when someone said it for like the fifth time but they said it like we should actually do this and then we pitched it to our editor who was like yeah sure do it and then we slowly spent more and more of our time doing this podcast they went from like 16 minutes to like 45 minutes and we'd go to the Age of Ultron premiere at midnight and do a spoiler cast right after it and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was fun. It was it definitely was a good introduction to podcasting for me because I could actually work on it during work time. Yeah. And, Did you get paid? Were you on company yeah, time doing I, this podcast? I was pro- awesome. professional podcaster. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's all that's downhill the, since That's then. the dream. You're living the dream. It was, okay, yeah. So it, was, it was a good run. We did 80 episodes. and That's then, impressive. That's uh, very impressive. Yeah, we never missed a week, but since then it's uh, the podcasting, like my hosting and everything, my editing's definitely got better, but sadly not getting paid anymore. Mm. So you move on. So you move on from the podcast at the paper. You move on from the from the paper. Now you're mm. you're in health communications and That's some right. other forms of po- like political communication. Before that, yeah. So I spent about a year in like a political office working in communications for one of the members of parliament. Okay. Okay. And so that was a lot of like doing social media, writing media releases, writing speeches for parliament and uh, that kind of thing. But a lot of clerical administrative work too, which I wasn't so crash hot about. Okay. What leads you to the decision or what gives you the idea to start doing putting in work? Yeah, putting in work, I kind of schemed my way into getting a media pass for RTX. And I thought, gee, I have to actually create some content since I got the media pass. And I, I landed interviews with Tim Geddes and Greg Miller from Kind of Funny. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'll do a podcast. I can do a podcast series. Maybe I'll do 20 episodes with people that I know or people that I can access talking about their work because I, I already knew of a few people in mind. Like I had a friend that just published a book. I had a friend that does like some Hollywood visual effects. So I thought 
I can get enough for 20 episodes. And as we record this, still going strong, still have a huge list of people uh, that I want to get to. And it just keeps growing because I've been able to tap into an online community that means that there's really no shortage of people that I can interview. So, yeah, because uh, getting Greg Miller and Tim Geddes for your first two episodes are pretty are pretty yeah. big gets. And I like the idea that the show that is, you know, really is going really strong and uh, it's been pretty successful for you, right? Putting in work? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've had some really good feedback. I've had a lot of, yeah, a lot of people say that they enjoy it and, and that they look forward to it. And, and that's pretty, pretty cool, I think, for something that started just because... I happened to stumble across a media pass for an event, you know, like, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard to measure success in podcasts because there's no money in it <laughs> and mm, that's true. there's really kind of poor analytics that measure the success of a podcast. If, if, if you are looking at numbers in terms of success. So mm-hmm. in terms of like starting up a podcast from scratch without being a huge personality, I'd say that's success. Yeah. I would agree. I would certainly agree. The show is very good. I listen to it. Thank you. I, I, try, I can't listen every week because college keeps me way too busy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you got you got to hit that like one times one point five times speed to get through the podcast when they bank <laughs> up. <laughs> now, so I want to so I want to get into interviewing. Since putting in work is an interview and show, you are a journalist. Obviously, you probably did a boatload of interviews, and you're seven and a half years doing that. Mm. So tell me thousands. What was like your first interview experience like when you're you're going in you you just got your job hmm. working at, work, uh, working at the paper what 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 was your very first interview you had to do if you can remember Oh man well e- even like when I was still at uni like doing assignments and having to interview people I was very That too Yeah I was very nervous like <laughs> it seems so silly now but, but yeah I I'd try and interview people that I had some kind of relationship with cuz I was like too scared to like talk to people I didn't know and I think that's pretty normal for students like I was I spent about uh one trimester so like four months as a journalism teacher Mm -hmm. at one of the universities where I used to live and I noticed that a lot of students were kind of doing the same thing that I used to do but yeah it it was kind of it's kind of nerve-wracking to go in there especially like when you don't have the name of a masthead behind you to back you up as you know I'm from this newspaper you're just like I'm a student and I'm doing this thing and there's really no reason for the person to talk to you like they don't get anything out of it because it's not getting published anywhere yeah no I totally feel that as someone who did who had to do what you're talking about last semester it is very nerve-wracking and especially since I'm from we have a college town right next to our university and since our university is well known for journalism students, the first place they go when they're assigned something is to all the businesses downtown. Yeah. So about 80, 90% of the businesses downtown are like so fed up with <laughs> kids coming and asking them to do profiles on their businesses and all that nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it. that's, that's tough. The, the first interview I had to do back when I was a journalism student, mm. I had our big profile story, we had to do a profile on someone who had an impact on the community. So, okay. you know, my my second year of school, I got to be honest, didn't have a lot of friends, didn't know too many people. So the only connection I had was to the Taco Bell manager that was <laughs> right next to my apartment. So I go there and I ask her, I'm like, hey, do you want to be the subject of my of my profile interview? And she she agreed. And we I sat behind the Taco Bell, saw how the, the meat was made and talked about her career there for 25 30 minutes and got 100 percent of the assignment so nice how much yeah, more my... impact could you have on the community than running the taco bell 
I I know. Well, she's a, she's the uh, district manager now, yeah. which so she's working her way up in the Columbia, Missouri area. That's cool, man. But what was uh so so what was your like first university interview experience like? The first one that's memorable was uh, I, I got hung up on. <laughs> I called a hospital about a service that they were discontinuing and asked a couple questions. I thought that I was polite, but the woman didn't like what I was implying, I guess, and she was just like, I don't need to talk to this student. She just hung up. <laughs> well, I used to do, uh, for 16 months, I used to do, I used to do uh, political calling to raise money, and I'm used to that now, so. <laughs> So I don't even, I I can't even blink twice. Around what time did interviews go from being this really nerve wracking thing to just being like, all right, this is something that that's got to get done. It's a part of the process. You go and do it and you were like pretty calm and collected and it was just any other interview. I guess there's different phases. So like I, I was fortunate to get a journalism job straight out of university. So you go in there, the first day is similar to when you're a student you're a bit nervous still, but you know that you're trying to be confident on your first day with the masthead and the name of the newspaper behind you. Uh, but then there's like the first time you interview a police officer and then there's the first time you interview a politician and the first time you interview someone that's actually famous. Like I remember interviewing uh, the drummer, that he used to be the drummer for The Living End, which I don't know, you're a bit younger than me. That was a huge band when I was a kid, like massive. And I remember geeking out over that. So there's different phases, but I, I guess eventually, yeah, it just slowly wears off. And I'm, I don't know how long it took. It was a long time ago now. It was almost uh, it was about nine years ago. But yeah, it, you're def- it's definitely something like anything where you're out of your comfort zone, whether it's public speaking, whether it's, you know, talking to girls, whatever <laughs> it is, you just kind of get used to it the more you do it. And because it's your job, you have to do it. So there's not much choice there. And it's kind of, you just like get thrown in the deep end and you have to sink or swim. All right. So let me give you a hypothetical scenario. All right. You're, you're, we're going, we're going back in time. You're working at the paper. You get the report. Yeah. Apparently there was a robbery or something on 10th street or whatever. And you got to go down there and, and get, get some, do a couple interviews, interview a police mm-hmm. officer, get the facts about what happened. What, what, what's your ritual? So you get this information, what do you do? Sure. So try and find out as much as you can before you go. So maybe there's a phone call you can make mm-hmm. or maybe there's a phone call that originally came in. Try and find out as much as you can so hopefully you don't even have to leave the office. That's always the first thing. Okay. So like leaving the office is like, ah, fine, I guess I got to go actually do some real work. You go out and you say it's a, a scene like you describe. You have to find the person in charge the person that's actually allowed to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So if it's uh, a police scene, it's, you know, you try and look for the most important looking police officer. You kind of sidle up to them. They see you coming. They know who you are. They see the notepad and whatever. And you say, when you've got a minute, I've got a few questions for you. They'll either say, yeah, just give me a a second Mm -hmm. and they'll be over to you when they've got time because they're doing real work here. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, call the station like this afternoon because often... They won't even be able to tell you anything until all the files have been filled out and reports have been done. That's how I would approach that situation. Okay. So let's say hypothetically that this police officer in this situation is like, yeah, I'll talk to you. What are the questions you ask? In journalism, it's always you have to, I guess, start with the introduction to the piece, Mm -hmm. uh, which is who, what, when, where, why, and how. Mm -hmm. And you, you might not necessarily always be able to convey that in the introduction but you should be able to and 
from there, it's just fleshing out all of those questions in greater detail. Mm-hmm. So you say, what happened? What time did it happen? You know, where exactly did it happen? If that's applicable, what did they exactly do and how did it happen? And do we know why it happened? So for that instance, you'd be wanting to know the damage, how much the damages were. Was there any witnesses, CCTV? Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of these things, they're not going to give you the answer, but you always have to ask just in case they let it slip. Okay, for sure. So after you get, cause, cause we were, we were taught that as well in, in the J school to get those, get those five W's and, and your how in after, after mm. you get that information, do you just go into, do you just ask questions for further details about those initial six important questions? Yeah. It's basically using your common sense to fill in any gaps that people might have. Mm-hmm. So you basically want to end your story or your interview with no information missing. And that might not always be possible, especially with something that has the mystery of a crime around it. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to get to the office and have your chief of staff say, well, what about this? And then you're like, oh, I didn't ask that. You, mm-hmm. you don't want to leave any stone unturned. And at the same time, there's a limit to what people are interested in. So you kind of have to think about the audience for the story when you're asking the questions. If my dad picks up the newspaper tomorrow morning, and reads the story, what's he going to ask when he finishes reading it? Or what's he want to know when he is reading it? Because you don't want someone to read an article and be like, oh, well, they didn't tell me how much it costs when someone has to replace the whole shop window, or mm. they didn't tell me what was stolen, or they didn't tell me what time it was, so mm. how am I supposed to know what really happened? That's basically what you need to consider, is what does the reader care about, and what do they need to know? Okay, now that's all for an interview for say the the newspaper or if you're mm. if you're if you're doing a journalism if you're a journalist and you're working for for a publication. On the other side of the interviewing coin, we have something like putting in work, where yeah. you where you invite someone on about something they're they're doing or something they're working on. In the case of putting in work, and you sit down with them for 30, 40 minutes, however long the episode is, and you talk about that thing. How do you prepare for those interviews? Yeah. So I I guess the best way to prepare is to know who you're talking to and to know some of what you want them to say. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times in an interview, you're kind of fishing for stuff that you think they're going to say, and then they'll say something that you don't expect. And that's usually a good thing because Mm -hmm. it means that new information is being presented. And I've heard people say their approach to interviewing is to find information that no one's heard before. And that's a really good way to, to look at it. But for me, when I'm doing a putting in work, I basically have five or so questions that are like the backbone of every episode and they're kind of fundamental to what the show is about. Mm -hmm. And for me, and it's going to differ depending on what your format or what the goal of your podcast is, but for me, it's what work do you do? How did you get there? Like, what was the progression? Like, how did you start out? And what were the steps to get you where you are now? Mm -hmm. What's the hardest part or the greatest challenge involved in that? What's your advice and lastly, the, the question that I always end it with is if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? And that's kind of a philosophical question, but it's also applicable because it, it kind of shows what that person's goal is and where they might be going next. Mm-hmm. And in between, it's just going with wherever the conversation leads. Uh, often it's conversational. It's probably not as conversational as I'd like. It's one of the things that I'm trying to shake off is I've got all these habits from being a news reporter, journalist for print that don't apply to audio. Like in an audio podcast, I have to remember people are going to hear my questions. They're going to hear what I have to say as well as 
the interviewee. So mm-hmm. when I was a journalist, I didn't matter if I mumbled or if I stuttered or if I had to over explain my question so that the interviewee knew what I was after because people only saw the end result. They didn't see how I got there. So I have to consider that more when I'm podcasting and that's something that I'm, I'm probably still trying to perfect. It's, it's an art form for sure. And it's not what I'm used to. It's not what I'm trained in. So that would be probably the challenge that I'm facing at the moment. Yeah. Any other particular challenges you've come across since you have this whole background about how interviews should be, or how you believe interviews should be done this way. And you're going to a different sort of format where the rules are different. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, and it could be a, a good thing depending on who you talk to, but a lot of the times the podcast is almost completely about the person I'm interviewing, mm-hmm. the guest, it's all about them. And there's not so much of my thoughts and personality in the interview, which, you know, some, for some people that's going to be a great thing because they just want to know about the guest. But as I go on more and more with putting in work and building, you know, building a brand and trying to create a following and that kind of thing. I, I feel like I, it would be great if I could interject some more of my own personality and thoughts into that as, you know, as you, you're doing with this interview talking about, you know, the Taco Bell thing, for example, mm-hmm. like in that instance, I might've just said, oh, okay, that's cool. Great answer. And then moved on instead of, you know, responding with something that's anecdotal and conversational that's kind of one of the challenges and that's where it helps to listen to other podcasters like i'll shout out andrew taylor who does private chats it's Mm -hmm. it's a very different show to putting in work but at the same time it's two people sitting down talking about you know whatever they're working on whatever they're known for but andrew's a really conversational guy and and that podcast has a lot more uh divergence and tangents which i I don't like putting in work isn't really a place for tangents Mm -hmm. but I, I do listen to that and think, gee, I, I could, I can learn something from the way that so effortlessly Andrew and his guests just kind of chat. Any other, uh, any other podcasts that you listen to that have given, that have been inspirations for putting work? Yeah, there's heaps. I mean, I listen to lots of podcasts. Like that's one of my main forms of entertainment. I've always Mine got too. earbuds, always got headphones on when yep. I'm not talking to someone. Uh, but when I started out, I guess you could say podcasts like WTF with Mark Maron was an inspiration just kind of again like having a new guest every week and even from the format perspective of I do an intro like I record the intro separate or I record it after I've done the interview and then I do an outro and splice it all together that's kind of inspired by the way that um, Mark Maron's podcasts were made and then Something like Pockets Full of Soup by Jared Petty. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so his isn't as much career-focused. It's usually a question of, you know, name someone that's important to you or whatever that you're thankful for. Yeah, that's it. it. Yeah, and that isn't what my show is, but that kind of... I don't know. There's just something about Jared that inspires people to do things, I think, and try to to be their best. And uh, and I think that... The question that I end my podcast with, which is, you know, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's kind of inspired a little by his question of name someone who you're thankful for. It's kind of a thought experiment. It's a way to get people thinking about things. I certainly, yeah, I certainly agree with that with uh, with Jared Petty and Pockets Full Soup, which, by the way, if you don't listen to that show, very excellent, very homey. Like, Jared's a soft-spoken guy. It's a fun, mm. easy show to listen to. Now, you brought up, you know, you like to end your shows with... If you could do anything and not fail, what would that be? What's your answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, I've been asked a couple times this question, which is natural for people. Like, it, 
there's something about this question. Like, it's a good time to talk about it now, but it's a question that originally was I heard a former pastor at one of my churches used to ask everyone this question. And it was kind of a way to ascertain what people's goals were in life and what their motivations are. The natural thing to do is say, okay, if your goal is to do X, Y, and Z, what are you doing to make that happen? Or why aren't you doing it? And then usually you get an answer that prompts some kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love asking people and they almost without fail will repeat the question back (laughs) to me when I ask it, which (laughs) it's, it's, it's kooky how often it happens. Sign of a good question, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. And it's it's always something that no one's ever answered it straight away. They always have to stop and think for a good five to ten seconds. But for me, it would... And I've said this before. I, I did a podcast episode where my friend Jack Cruz interviewed me about my book. But it, it would be that I would do putting in work. I would do Spy and the Maven. Like, not Spy and the Maven. I would write mm-hmm. as an author... Um, more than I'm doing now. Like I would love to do those things full time, maybe turn putting in work into a website and have other people work contributing articles. And I mean, the goal for any creative person, I think is to just make a living off doing the things that they enjoy. And that's no different for me. I'd love to turn podcasting and writing uh, creatively into, into a full-time job. I, I should say I, I kind of do that as a full-time job <laughs> since I've, I've always kind of worked in, in writing but you know like the creative side i guess is the, oh is for sure yeah there's the there uh there's a couple of youtubers i like to listen to and uh, one of them specifically talks about there's the idea of the art and the gimmick so mm. the art in, in your case the art would be putting in work in the spy and the maven very cr- creatively driven efforts whereas the gimmick is doing the health communications that you're doing right now or before and then yeah. political communications or doing journalism uh, journalism for the paper so see, do you see a path as like a potential future for you to like turn putting in work and continuing to write more ne- like non-fiction uh, non-fiction or fiction like spy the maven is or yeah uh do i see a path i mean it's one of those things where you kind of just have to do it and see what happens. It's mm-hmm. the show is called putting in work and nothing really happens without putting in work. You have to do a lot to even get a chance at getting noticed. And then there's luck on top of that. Yeah. And anyone that's successful will tell you, I worked damn hard to get here, but I was also super lucky at the same time. Any, I mean, anyone with perspective will tell you that, you know, Kanye West probably wouldn't say that he's lucky, but you know, uh, so I, th- I think that, can I see it happening? I can see it happening, but I'm pretty realistic and I'm not by any means expecting it. And some people will say, well, then you've already failed, but that's just the way things go. You can't really expect cer- certain things in life. Otherwise you, I think you'll be very setting yourself up for disappointment in, in a lot of ways. But yeah, I mean, I've written a book, which not many people can say, I'm going to write another book, I'm sure. And if that over time, realistically, I can see an audience continuing to build through the different things that I'm part of, putting in work, doing podcasts like this with people, and hopefully short term, it means I can go down from full-time work to maybe four days a week, and I spend one day a week working on my own projects, and maybe they can start to generate some income. Uh, I mean, the book was, was a good way to generate some income. Being self-published, I got to pocket a lot more money than I would if I went through a publisher, mm-hmm, but... Yeah. That was also because of the way that it was crowdfunded. So that's not really a realistic uh, like thing to repeat. But yeah, 
it's it's definitely something that I'm hopeful for and I'd love to see happen. So let's let's see how we go. For sure. If you can interview one person on putting in work, who would it be? Oh man. That's a <laughs> that's a really good question. And I should know this because I've, I've thought about it. There's there's some oh it would be Chuck Klosterman. I don't know if you know Chuck Klosterman, but he's like my writing hero. He's an amazing pop culture analyst. He started off as a journalist like me and went into writing books. He wrote a bunch of fiction, uh, nonfiction. His most famous book is called Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. And it might be a little dated now with some of the references, but it's still really interesting. And it's just lately that he's kind of gone into fiction, but Chuck's been a contributor to like Esquire, GQ, ESPN, Grantland, Spin Magazine, Rolling Stone. He worked at Rolling Stone for ages. So just a really interesting guy with a really interesting perspective. And there's never been an article he's written or a podcast I've heard him on that hasn't made me go, this guy's brain is incredible, the way that he analyzes pop culture. And that's that would be my dream interview for sure. I love it. I love it. Most people would say, like, I don't know, celebrity flavor of the week. But I like that you ha- you pick someone who's yeah. got, like, who, who has a vast writing background, someone whose brain you'd really want to get to pick. So I definitely would listen to that mm. show if you ever get a chance to do it. What oh, is man, the... I- Mm-hmm. I'm getting kind of tingly just thinking about that. It's it's never going to happen, but let's let's see if I can reach out to his people. <laughs> hey, no, hey, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. Yes, I believe that. I, I believe that. Now, and I want this to be, and you can, I want, give me the whole pool here of everything you've done. What is the interview you are the most proud of doing? It could be I'm putting in work. If you did anything on Explosion uh, Network that was interview-esque. Like we're we're kind of playing fast and loose with the term interview here. So anything that yeah, like remotely yeah. seems like it, what are you the most proud of? The biggest guest that I've had would be episode one, Greg Miller. Mm-hmm. But most proud of probably landing an interview with John Safran, who is a huge name over here in Australia. He's a hard guy to describe. He's a recently been an author. That's why I got to interview him because I emailed his PR people and they set it up to promote his book mm-hmm. but before that he was kind of like a kind of a TV prankster he would do these shows where he'd do sketches and skits and kind of expose hypocrisy and he'd kind of like a Michael Moore but funnier okay all right more more juvenile kind of like a cross between jackass and Michael Moore so he was a huge part of my like teenage years like watching his DVDs and that kind of thing so I got to interview him earlier this year about a book that he wrote about extremist politics and that was a huge dream because like I said childhood Mm -hmm. hero someone that I looked up to someone that I've replicated in some ways so getting to interview him was was pretty awesome and still kind of surreal yeah do you do you look back on that like do you look back on that interview a lot and you're like i can't believe this happened or yeah it's, it's kind of like that and it's it's been like that for you know a few of my interviews like uh i recently got to go to pax with a media pass which was pretty surreal in itself but into i got to interview a guy similar to the way i feel about john safran was gatesy from a band called tripod they're like a, a comedic, um, a musical comedy band that I literally used to listen to when I was 13 on the radio. Uh, they'd do like every week they'd get brought in to do like a improvised, improvised song that they'd written in the past 60 minutes about something topical. And like if you're an Australian comedy fan, then you would have heard these guys. You would have seen them on TV. Uh, so 
to sit down and talk with one of those guys for like 30, 40 minutes was pretty good. And he actually seemed to really appreciate the style of the interview as well. And I think that's another kind of, not that he was someone that I ever put on my bucket list, but it was kind of like a childhood. Anything where you get to interview someone that was a hero in your childhood is pretty awesome. And I've been fortunate to do that a few times. The thing with podcasting is people are a lot more open to it than you'd expect. I've found that whether it's guests that I've had or guests that I've seen do other people's podcasts, I'm like, huh, they got that person right. Okay, that person's available. You know, you can see the kinds of people that are out there and willing to to jump in on the podcasting. So, yeah, all you can do is reach out and see who who fires back. There's you'll be surprised. I think if you if you put in work and <laughs> you know, build up a, a bit of a, a back catalogue that shows that you're committed to it. I think that you can fool anyone to <laughs> into doing an interview. For sure. I mean, I guess it also goes to like the, the power of the internet too. Like, you know, you're recording, like we're recording this. I'm in Columbia, Missouri. You're all the way in uh, Australia. Mm. We're both I've never si- talked to you before as well. Yeah, I know, right? So <laughs> this is our first conversation. On Twitter. You're like, hey, I made a funny meme one day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing this podcast. You want to come on and... Yeah, so I, I guess you're, you're proof that, yeah, just reach out and people will do it. Dreams can come true. Do you have any advice for me going into doing future interviews? It's good to be prepared, but it's, and this is the same as when I was a journalist. Like, it's good to be prepared knowing what you want to ask, but mm-hmm. not rehearsing it, like not having it scripted. Mm-hmm. I always like to have, you know, I mentioned my five questions that I ask everyone, and they're kind of there if I need to fall back on them, but I don't need to rely on them. I can know that that they can guide me but i can get lost if i if i want to so having so having a plan but having the willingness to ditch that plan as soon as you realize that the interview is going a different better direction yeah i guess that's part of it it's it's kind of like going on a holiday you know i think you you want to know a few places you want to hit up or you might want to go to the these this bar or this you know landmark but if you see something cool on the way there you want to stop and check it out Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jonah, thank you very much. I like to end the show with asking people, uh, what's one question you have for me? Huh. I'd like to know what your, well, why don't I just ask you, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail, Sam? All right. Um, I would, I would become a full-time editor. I do YouTube full-time. I do gaming, lots of, yeah, lots of video gaming content, do reviews, have a personal sort of vlog channel where I post dumb memes and stuff. I do a bunch of other podcast ideas that I have that I'd like to explore in the future. And just be like an online content creator and just do that full, just do that all time and be my own boss. Awesome, dude. Looks like you're doing the things, like you're taking the steps to get there, so. Well, thank you very much. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. That interview actually happened more than six months ago, so I hope you liked it. If you want to support the show, you can leave an iTunes review or check out some merchandise over at 8bit.net slash P-I-W. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. Don't forget to hit up the rest of the 8-Bit Collective for some awesome podcast content. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, Sam is at the Daily Sam K. I'm at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.